It's like, do you want to get started so we could let you go back to bed bed, even though you're in bed right now? Yay, post-surgery fun. Yeah, you're missing a whole organ. I have an organ removed. So first and foremost, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. Welcome, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) We're live. Um, This is kind of an apology for not being with you for at least two episodes. Um, You had an organ removed. I had an organ removed. So Chad was evicted. For anyone playing the home game who knows me, I I named my gallbladder Chad. Um, Right before we were supposed to record our episode on The Giver, um, Mm -hmm. which was scheduled for like a month ago, Yep. I had to go to urgent care because I was in extreme pain. I couldn't figure out why. Yep. That Tuesday, I thought I was just hungover because I had mm-hmm. made Agua de Valencia, and I thought maybe I'm just too old to hang. Mm-hmm. And um, no, my gallbladder was an angry sack of marbles, mm-hmm. and I had to go through a bunch of different referrals, and then finally, a surgeon was like, yep, we're going to cut that out of your body, and you're going to need a few weeks to heal. So... Um, I'm still able to move around, which is good, and I do basics, but for long periods of time, I'm reclined, so my coworkers laugh because we're still doing work from home because of quarantine, and mm-hmm. so I'm just kind of like laying there with a triangle pillow, and it's very sad and pathetic, so I just like go off screen with no camera. It's not like, sad and pathetic. I'm like, y'all know. I loved my, my doctor because I did a follow-up over the week, and they're like, well, you're healing up really well are you already back at work? And I'm like, yeah. She was trying to see if she needed to do a note for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, yeah, I'm already back at work. And I got so much side eye. It was fabulous. So anyhow, I'm back. Can, can I ask one question? What is the sad deflated cat behind you? So this is one of those um, heat up pillow things. Oh, okay. The microwave. Okay. I was just like, what is this husk of a cat behind you? My daughter has a sloth, and then I have this guy, and he was great Aww. for holding down. Well, okay, so here's the weird thing is, surgeons don't usually use stitches on minor stuff now. They have, mm-hmm. like, this stuff that's, like, sanitape or secure tape or something. Yeah. And so, basically, they tape your inside shut, and it is the weirdest thing because, like, I just had these strips of, like, plastic over for a long time, and they bond really, really well, and so they start mm-hmm. to kind of splinter off as things go on. Mm-hmm. And I just remember my doctor's like, don't touch it. Don't play with it. Don't pick at it. Just let it do its thing. And I'm like, oh, I, I okay. I'm like, so you have four cuts when you get a, a or have gallbladder surgery. Cool. So they have like three up at the top and then one over your belly button. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard one to heal. And I'm like, but that's the one that I want to pick the most. So I just don't touch that whole area. Do you know about a calming heat, which is not a porn? No. So there's this, it's like one of those um, dumb tele-commercial things where it's like a Ronco oven, but like a heating pad. And it's like equal parts a weighted blanket and heating pad. It sounds phenomenal, but did no one think to test the name Calming Heat? Yeah, that's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Did Did no one think to go over the name calming heat like maybe we need to you know make sure that this name doesn't sound or did you may have been um away from twitter but did you hear about pokemon master sex no i missed that one 
So Pokemon Masters is a game on your phone, but they released a new title that was Pokemon Masters EX. But oh, because no. of hashtags, it's just Pokemon Master Sex. No. And it's like, oh. our time is now? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> so it's just a bunch of people like, no, no one thought, no one thought of this. No one thought at all. Because like, it makes sense when you see the logo because you know the EX at the bottom, whatever, but because it's a hashtag, it all just runs together. So it's just like, no one thought about this. This, this crossed all. no one's mind in marketing. Yeah, this crossed. Yeah, you or, guys need to fire your whole, or you know what, or the marketing department was very in on it. It's, it's more than likely. It's kind of like the disgruntled Disney creators who put things in the background. Yes. In movies. Yes. It's either that or just, yeah, like the entire marketing department, I guess, took a nap. But I got to say, like, Disney's current, with the way that they review films and the segments and stuff that people are animating, mm-hmm. like, I can't imagine you getting away with that now with their digital, like, reviews. Mm-hmm. There's there's no way. So we're not talking about the book because the book hurts. Um. <laughs> oh, the book hurts a lot. Um, this is especially- like eugenics for kids. Uh, I will say before we stop aciding, I was narcissistic and I listened to our first episode uh, before like quarantine happened, which was uh, Lord of the Flies. And just the difference in tone from <laughs> that was what, like March, I think? Yeah, that was March. From where March? We're, where we're like, oh, this is funny. Haha, <laughs> look, this thing is coming. And now we're like, well. We haven't left the house in months other than to get groceries and like screech into the void you know i went to my fir- i went to a restaurant for the first time since march uh last month i went to revolving sushi which is like the only place that i will do it at this stage and it was the weirdest thing it's like i have not sat down to eat in a place that is not my home since march <laughs> Well, we were driving, we went to go pick up something to eat, my husband and I, just for anybody who's listening and, and doesn't know all that situation. Like, we're good. That's, I don't even know why I felt the need to clarify that. I was um, just going to let you. We just went and picked something up last night, and we're driving by these restaurants, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, clearly, the hooters down the street, like, people aren't taking this seriously. Like, I'm watching groups of people waiting to get in, mm-hmm. and they're just like, I mean, yeah, they're a little bit more distance than normal, but I mean they're still really clumped together. Like I'm going, that's not six feet. And I can tell that from the car. I know. Um, and then like just driving down the street, parking lots are completely back just like they yeah. were before. Yeah. And I'm going, so y'all just legitimately don't care about waitresses, right? Like, no, they don't. I have a they lot don't. of friends who are like waitresses down in Houston and out here. And I'm just like, I can't even, I, my favorite thing is when people walk into some place and they like, are like, can I take off my mask because there's no one here? And it's like, no, you're literally saying this to the hostess. Like, that that is a person. That is not a robot, friends. That is. That, that makes me so sad. Me. That makes me so sad. But um, but yeah, there. Anybody who's worked in food service ever, like mm-hmm. I, I did it when I was a teenager. You get used to the fact that nobody sees you as a human being. They see you as a food dispenser. And no, I wouldn't even just so say quickly. food service. I think like any service, because like I used to do like retail. Oh and- yeah, retail's terrible too. Like I feel like everybody needs to work in retail at least once. So oh no, a hundred percent. Like it's. 
did you hear about me becoming the patron saint of the post office? No. So I went to the post office, which of course is going over a massive uh, kerfluffle. So Americans vote, God damn it. Uh, got political, bingo. Um, oh, it's, and it's there were these political even more so later. <laughs> and of course, you know, there were a bunch of boomers and Karens around me like, oh, this is taking so long, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, they literally are doing the most with the least amount of resources. And complaining has solved negative like amounts of problems in the world and this like other millennial comes back and she's like thank you <laughs> like just thank you because it's like you're not helping the situation like they are literally right now doing the most with the least amount of help like shh. i have a friend <laughs> who is a postal carrier in a different state and i swear to god he's working until 10 o'clock at night a lot of the time just to make sure that things are going down because they have less personnel. They mm-hmm. have removed a lot of um, what they would normally do for overtime. They mm-hmm. have taken out sorting machines. They've done all this stuff. And he's just like, well, I mean, I guess I'll get home when I get home. Mm-hmm. And that's like, it's it's horrifying. Like, I'm really close friends with his wife. So it's just like going back and forth. Like, how's he doing today? Yeah. <laughs> Still masked up and working through the apocalypse? Okay. Uh, that's what we're all doing. Uh, so we're reading The Giver, which is a book that I thought that I could bury, uh, with the rest of my childhood trauma, but apparently. Yeah, this this book is, um, extremely, um, God, it, traumatic, I think, is the only word. And the funny thing is we give this to 11-year-olds and go, yeah, understand the basics of eugenics, like, understand the basics of the eugenics and also like make the right decision about it because it also does feel like one of those books where like you can be on the wrong side like did i i told you about the deadliest warrior experts didn't i i think so but in what okay just to make sure so deadliest warrior is basically a larp where experts i'm using air quotes uh get to show off like different historical figures or cultures and like their battle tactics that's for the listeners not for you uh, and I was watching an episode on the Waffen SS versus the Viet Cong, which is one of my favorite episodes. Just like tactile, like like tactically, it's a great episode. Also, um, Spetsnaz versus oh god, I don't remember who. It's Spetsnaz versus I think like Green Berets. That one is the best, just for like how much they still hate each other. I digress. Oh yeah, no, it's the it's, but um, when, when you're learning Russian, Spetsnaz is like the short slang for like forces that you don't want to fuck with like special forces is what they say yeah we will insert whatever you feel like you need to about that but um so it's Viet Cong versus Waffen SS and you know so they get experts one of them is an actual like German American dude and he's nice and he's chill and the other guy is like just like a white American dude and you know that was the kid in high school that was too excited about World War II and real talk I'm usually that person but about like the occult and the guns and stuff not about like anything else but like they're literally just cosplay Nazis. Like, the whole episode, they're just cosplay Nazis, and they're, like, using flamethrowers and, like, guns, and they started, like, egging each other on in German, which is something that I never needed to see, which is two white men in Nazi uniforms egging each other on in German. I mean, for that, you just go to Charlottesville. I'm gonna, mm, sorry. Mm. Or just, yeah, like, literally stay on incel chat for too long mm. but like or, you know kids that they protect in kenosha anyway yeah. uh. so uh 
I thought I could bury this book because I read this either right before or right after my father died. Uh, apparently I can't, so thank you, Tori. Uh, when we were doing this for August, we had lovingly started calling this uh, Amanda's Junior High Trauma Month. Yes. But I'd like to extend that really to everyone because Tori is right. They let children read this book for some reason because I would like to put this in the category of book like less suited for children. Like, I think we should, I really think that, like, everyone should have a shelf dedicated in their house, and it's, like, the least suitable books for children, and I think this needs to go on that shelf next to, like, it needs to be somewhere underneath the shelf for children that have seen too much, like Dicey's song. That book needs yes. to go there. Book for children who've seen too much. <laughs> I mean, for Lois Lowry, that's, like, a lot of her books, too, like, Number of the Stars, and just, they're, what, what I didn't realize reading The Giver again was that there is now a whole series. There is books. a series, which we're not and, reading. So no, don't I, I, I um, can't. I'm sorry. I, I can't. I do not have the emotional capacity right now. I mean, I want to find does. out what happens to these characters, but at the same time, I'm like, somebody else tell me. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like the last Twilight book. I just couldn't do it. And I like, my friend came home from the uh, Barnes and Noble party where she had worked at the time and sat me down and went, friend I need to tell you the entire plot of the last book and I asked her if she had accidentally just read some fan fiction and she said no and that was what put me off Stephanie Meyer for the rest of eternity so I was my I met her for but still. <laughs> I was my former best friend's a uh, date to Twilight prom because uh, he basically said it's a chance to like look good and like show up a bunch of children which at the time I was in college and like sure um <laughs> And everyone was like, are you the Bella to his Edward? And I said, I will sell him to you for a dollar. I will sell him to you right now. So you're the Victoria to his Edward. Got it. I, I guess. I'm waving. I, I brandished a plastic knife. Uh, because Tori has had surgery and is missing an organ, uh, we don't get to do fun cocktail stuff for a while. Or at least I still get to, but Tori Oh, you, you totally can. Um, I was I not am, seeking your permission. I know. I'm, so my paperwork said within or hold off on alcohol for at least 24 hours but that's that wink wink nod nod don't touch it for a while but we understand I, if you're a hardcore alcoholic i would love I to like, see someone who just like puts a straw into like a trenta cup of wine right after surgery i'd like to meet you uh so we're also pausing on cheese except for me because i went to whole foods this morning and i have nothing better to do with my life what what are you eating because i had like a little bit of coffee cake and i've had oh. some iced tea Oh, I got a Metropolitan Brie. Ooh. I don't know what the fuck that means. What does that mean? I don't know. Because all I can think of is like a Brie. It's like, I'm coming out. I want the world to know. Like, that's all I can imagine is like, like a wheel of Brie rolling down the street to that song. Is that a Metropolitan Brie? I mean, I guess. I hope that's a Metropolitan does it like spend a lot of time on its hair and nails like i don't know i guess so and then i got it's a, a metrosexual brie that's about, that's a metrosexual brie uh which isn't all brie really um except for the cave kind and then i made myself a cocktail which is a uh, trader joe's lemonade gin and sprite because i'm not in control of my life there's some sweetness in, in there there's some gin it's in a turvis cup oh <laughs> That says, nope, not today. This is a sloth cup, too. I love it. Mm -hmm. I like, too, that you have the lid on it. It's kind of like do. an adult sippy cup. It and is I'm an adult here sippy for cup. that. Oh, there's too much gin, but I like it. Um, so that's what's on 
uh, my sad don't talk to me I have feelings plate. Um, I have not physically seen Tori since March. March, yeah. <laughs> and I have not virtually seen Tori since July? Yeah, start of Mm. end of july end of july so i was like august was in there but it was kind of a blur for me so yeah we took august off i got to make an executive decision for the first time in the podcast because tori was like yeah we can still (laughs) we can still record and it's like no no you're going to bed go take a nap okay uh so that's what we're doing we're eating and drinking our feelings uh do you want a short story long because this is not going to be short and it's going to be very very long yes it is actually pretty long it kind of gives you a full breakdown okay too much of a full breakdown (laughs) as usual for me Mm -hmm. jonas is an 11 year old boy referred to as an 11 for his age and level in his community in an attempt to regulate differences and make the most of a just and prudent world the colors as in actual literal colors have been muted across the world sort of like the 300 movie like, this is, this is a legitimate plot point, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it is super rude to point out differences or question them. And we're not talking as uh, you don't, like, you, I mean, you just don't acknowledge it at all. It's not a, oh, we're differently abled. It's, a, it's like, no, that, that doesn't exist. Um, families are not made, but rather chosen. A man and a woman are assigned to each other, and they are assigned one female and one male child to raise. But the initial nurturing stages of infancy are all outsourced. So I know some parents who are like, woohoo, but I mean, like, there's no, none of that bonding. Like, yeah, they don't wake you up in the middle of the night, but there's no bonding either. Yeah, just here's a kid. Rigid structures give children milestones all through the same years, and once, um, oh, uh, and once rules are deviated mm-hmm. from three times, a human being is, quote, released. Mm-hmm. People are required to daily tell what their dreams the night before were, which is partially to watch out for any differences and to share their emotions from the day that, while they sit together that evening. So basically, like, I was really mad today because this happened. Um, The society requires men and women to start medication to kill sexual desires or stirrings, and only a small group of women called birth mothers are the ones who give birth to children, and it's considered to be, like, a labor role. Mm -hmm. These women have a short shelf life, and after three babies, they turn to a lifetime of hard manual labor, when people reach a certain age and are deemed too old, they are also released after their achievements are listed out for all who wish to listen. People right. are really excited about this. It's like a big party, and children assume that being released means being they are sent, or that they are being sent to a different community. <laughs> Is oh. it like going to the heavy side layer in Cats? I guess. I just made a Cats reference. I still have never seen Cats, so. <laughs> Missing nothing. Um, Jonas's mom works for the Justice Department and his father works for the nurturing team. This becomes important as Jonas's dad is allowed to bring home one of the babies or new children who is not doing well and not meeting milestones. As the child is not yet one, he is not supposed to have a name, but Jonas's father breaks the rules, took a peek at the kid's proposed name, and so they're calling the kid Gabriel or Gabe. They're forced to sign a promise that they won't get attached to the child as the child will either be assigned to a new family if he reaches milestones, or if he doesn't actually develop correctly, he will be released. When Jonas becomes 12, he and his classmates will be assigned to jobs that they will do for the rest of their lives. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to repeat that, the rest of their lives. 
I mean, in the U.S., when you're like between 16 and 18, yeah, they tried to tell you what you're going to do for the rest of your life because you're going to go to college, but or mm-hmm. manual mm-hmm. labor or whatever. But mm-hmm. like somebody else is making the choices in this. So Jonas is elected to become the receiver and store all of the society's memories and information so the council is able to contact him for info on what has been done before to try and avoid pitfalls. Mm-hmm. This is a huge deal as 10 years before a young woman was given this task to become the receiver and she straight up walked up and said, I would like to be released, please. Her name, <laughs> oh, no. her name is no longer spoken and no new children are ever given this name. God damn. That's like salty earth man Mm -hmm. um the current receiver begins to transfer memories via touch and refers to himself only as the giver which is super creepy if you think about it already for a lot of reasons like here i'm gonna touch you child and then you're gonna get all these memories like i just thought uh, of it like the architect in the matrix like it didn't seem that weird to me but also i'm weird it well okay it's not the weirdest thing in this book it is not the weirdest thing in this book and that's saying a lot it is. Um, Jonas begins to see color for the first time. So it starts off in little things like seeing one of his friends becomes basically the little red-haired girl. Um, oh. He starts to see changes in people's eye colors and stuff like that. The giver advises. Insane. Yeah, how weird is that going to be? Like, um, there's something wrong with my vision. Right. Uh, the giver advises that um, he has only started off with good memories with Jonas to show him how it works, mm-hmm. but they're going to be getting some more painful memories over time. Part of the rule packet that Jonas has says, you know, matter what, he is not allowed to share anything he's learned. He's not able to share at dream time. He is allowed to be rude to people. He is allowed to ask questions and he can lie. Also, mm-hmm. he can't take his no stirrings medication anymore because it interferes with memories. So uh-huh. we're talking he's getting a full hormone packet and all the trauma at once. That's just uh-huh. awful. The memory transfer continues. The giver shows clear pain at least at releasing these memories. He advises that when the last person assigned to take his memories was released, that her memories came back to the people of the community. And it was mm-hmm. super emotionally messy. And the council wanted that to never happen again. So mm-hmm. basically, instead of shared trauma, it all goes to one person. Jonas learns what warfare looks like and starts to step stop children's games on the playground when he sees them playing like fake guns and soldiers gabriel's crying at night the little boy that's at their house is driving everyone in the in the house crazy so jonas volunteers to keep gabriel in his room and as he is comforting gabriel he realizes he has accidentally transferred a memory to the child of the time at sea whoops yes jonas then learns what releasing actually is it's basically community accepted lethal injection Mm-hmm. Jonas freaks out as the video he's watching is his father injecting an infant with a lethal dose of, or a lethal dose of medication to release it. Mm-hmm. The giver reveals that the girl he was transferring memories to was actually his daughter Rosemary, and she ended up asking her for to give herself the injection because she was like, "Yeah, fuck this." Mm-hmm. Um, the giver helps Jonas come up with a plan to run away. It is not unheard of as it is not unheard of for a giver to go to other communities, like as on visits. Right. It's complicated when Jonas goes home to pack up and finds out that Gabriel has not reached his milestone and his dad has been advised that the next morning Gabriel will be released. Jonas grabs Gabriel overnight, who he now sees his brother and nopes the fuck out of there. Fair. After traveling a distance, spraining his ankle, we see Jonas and Gabriel cresting the hill of another community 
and arriving at a sled that Jonas received as a memory from his final days with training with the giver. The book ends as they sled forward. So, question. Mm -hmm. Why were we allowed to read this as children? I don't know. I don't know like, why what? they gave this to us as kids, other than the fact that they probably got a publisher discount. Like, that's the only thing I can think of. Because, like, I, okay, so we, we need to we need to crest the hill that is reading, especially for kids, is propaganda. Like, it's here to teach you, like, the socially normative things and, like, the leaderarchy and stuff like that. So a lot of the books that you read as a child are meant to instill upon you the basic skills to not be a fucking deviant. Am I, am I correct? No, that is, that is accurate. And the funny thing is, as you get older, then you, especially like when you're in college or you're taking classes where they want you to think for yourself, or even just reading independently, then you, you have the deviant whole books. other world. Right. Um, and that's why I was joking with my daughter actually just yesterday. I'm reading this book right now called the mad and bad of our like real regency heroines by Bea Cock, and it's amazing yes. but there's an entire chart in the book of who was sleeping with who at the time so mm. you can follow it up and I had to be very very careful about what I said to my daughter but I, mm. I go I promise you right now your books in school are going to be really boring when it comes to history but mm. start reading other books as an adult and you mm -hmm. see these people as actual human beings who had mo weird motivations mm -hmm. and weird emotional trauma, you're going to mm -hmm. be way more interested in it than you are right now. Yeah, I, because remember, they're so much cooler. Yeah, it wasn't until, like, I didn't get into Swinburne so much until, like, my professor goes, oh, yeah, and he totally was super into BDSM, and they had to have the madam of the local, like, brothel come to the castle and say, please tell Algie that biting simply will not do. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, I'm sorry, what did this guy do? Please tell me everything. Me with Tudor England. But, like, a lot of the books that you read, especially because, like, you think about junior high for Americans, that's super formative. Like, that pretty much, like, starts laying down the bricks of who you're going to be forever. I think right. those bricks really, like, set, like, high school. And then usually by college, you're, like, smoothing them out. But, like, the bricks of who you're going to be for the rest of your days are really set, like, in junior high. And a lot of the books that you're reading during this time are sort of meant to instill something in you, usually like a vague empathy, uh, some light multiculturalism, which is why like everyone reads The House on Mango Street. Like, so you're, you're yeah, supposed to get like- I've never read that. That was oh, not required reading for me. It was required reading for me. You might have to throw that on the list. Um, also because everyone in San Antonio talks about Sandra Cisneros because she lives here. Um, <laughs> because she's one of our neighbors. But um, I to this day, I don't know what the point of this book is. And actually, to spoil a little bit, the book that we're probably reading next after this is another one of those books of what was the, to quote Cardi B, what was the reason? Like, what was this supposed to teach me as a child except for, like, baby's first existential meltdown? Because it's not teaching me empathy. I've learned nothing about empathy. I've learned nothing about multiculturalism. I've learned nothing about how to be better in society. And it's also not really a critique of this world because nothing really changes. So well, at least in the first book. I mean, to be fair, we haven't read the others. But. Well, okay, but like real talk. It's, look, look at where we are now in the real world. <laughs> 
nothing has changed. Well, it's funny because I think we're supposed to read this book from our current perspective. And, th- and that's the problem is the current perspective when we re- read this book mm-hmm. was like decades ago. Right. And yeah, yeah at ago. least two decades ago. And right. now things are very, very bad. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot more now where all of a sudden we're like, no, 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 no. Don't tell us that racism has been fixed because it clearly has not been fucking fixed. Mm-hmm. We have so much documentation showing it is still an active problem. Mm-hmm. But then we have like fucking Nikki Haley at the RNC going, people want to tell you that America is racist and that's a lie. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Who spiked your Wheaties with LSD this morning? Are you in like a magical realm and can I have some of your drugs? Yeah, it's like. Or who is that lady who everyone made into a meme where it's like the best is yet to come. Like that sounds like a threat. Like for for whomst? For whomst is the best yet to come? Most stressful thing is when you are preparing for surgery it is ass early in the morning you are sitting in the hospital and shaking because you have just had to put two thousand dollars on a credit card to help meet your deductible so that you can have surgery and mm-hmm. all that's on in the background is freaking that lady screeching because they're doing highlights on the news about the rnc and you're just going i don't have time for this i am literally getting ready to have an organ taken out like I, I've been trying to ignore the news. It's hard. Um, and I say that not because I don't want to be an informed citizen, because I do, but uh, I'm black and tired. So there's, there's, there's my card. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't know what this book is supposed to teach us. And I just remember, I remember very strongly reading this when I was a kid, because I remember my. English teacher, Miss Lawson, uh, and just being like, what the fuck? I mean, obviously not swearing, but because I went to a Catholic school. <laughs> Fun fact about Amanda, junior high was Catholic school. Um, and I remember just like being like, what was, why did you do this to us? Like, this was like, I think it was like one of the first books that was a punishment. Like, what was, what was the goal here? But um, unfortunately, and a lot of it too, hmm? is it's like if you don't have a lot of world experience, you're not going to see some of the stuff in this book is bad. Which you're 11, so I mean, unless like you've really, really seen some shit uh, foreshadowing for Amanda the next year. Oh, <laughs> foreshadowing for 12-year-old Amanda. <laughs> like, unless you've really seen some shit, you're not going to. You're like, like you, oh, that sounds kind of fun, actually. Like, you tell each other your yeah. and everything. There's no way that that's propaganda. Right, like, it, it does It does at first almost sound like, oh, this is okay. Like, yeah, like, that sounds nice. It sounds like really, like, there's a lot of equality and, like, it's chill and there's stuff. And it's like, oh, no, like, this is, this is fucking horrible. Uh, which means, unfortunately, uh, we have some themes and symbols. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the big things that struck me even as a kid and up until now was the concept of the birth mother Mm -hmm. and that's something you see in our society as well where you know birth is an incredibly important milestone and you know the continuation of the species but the mother is considered basically to be secondary and often ignored to the point of her detriment 
Um, mm -hmm. Texas has the highest mortality rate for women. It's higher birth. if you're black. <laughs> it's higher if you have, if you're black or you're Hispanic or you're not white. Let's just let's put mm -hmm. it there. Um, it is horrifying that we have the highest rate in the U.S., which has the highest rate for a quote first world country. Yeah, and for a developed nation, ours is very high. Where there are have been countless studies of women who basically were bleeding to death on the table or experiencing, you know, side effects and things like that, who were told it's just normal stuff, don't worry about it, and then almost died. Um, or and that's not died. even, and that's not even including a lot of the sexism that comes into like doulas and birth centers. Like a lot of them will not take care of um, trans patients. Which, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, uh, okay. But that's one of those things that, with the trauma that I did have at 11, I didn't hate that as a kid. I was one of those weird kids that was like, I like the idea of you having to apply to be parents, basically, because my parents were shitty. <laughs> or at least I had one shitty parent. So where it gets really, really horrifying for a lot of this birth mother stuff is just the fact that, like, these women are literally treated like cattle, right? Yeah. They are inseminated. They are, and, and the thing is, it's like, you have one kid, at least in the book, who's like, I want to be a birth mother. That would be fun. And everybody gets really mad at her mm -hmm. because they basically tell her, oh, you have three births where, so basically there's three years where you sit around and play cards and do nothing. And then you are forced to do manual labor for the rest of your existence. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that they only choose, quote unquote, the unintelligent mothers for this mm -hmm. like it a little it's a little bit like brave new world where everybody's got like some sort of magic birth control is all i can think of and just the fact that they and that magic birth control is we're going to give you this pill that makes you not want to have sex in brave new so world antidepressant? kind of <laughs> in brave new world it's you we're going to give you these treatments so that everybody just has sex with everybody but that's a whole other thing cool that's huxley and we'll need to do that at some point but. no we we no oh uh we need to talk about uh twin stuff and not like the sexy kind uh so in the in this series um what's interesting is is twins they pick the strongest twin mm -hmm. and then they quote unquote release the other one mm -hmm. and we see jonas's dad doing that where he's like sticking the needle in the kid's arm he's like okay you're gonna cry a little bit good night bye and it's like it's horrifying oh um, no What's really interesting is eugenics. So it's basically like that. There was a, a movement to try and get people to find basically the best branch of genes and yes. move towards that and just yes. remove the rest of it. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about why that's bad in a minute because it is really bad. Do we have um, to say what? Wait a minute. Do we still have to say why it's bad? Because there are still people who go, no, yeah, let's find one course of genes. that. Those really are called Nazis. Yes. So what during eugenics, a lot of what they would do in regards to study is they would study twins, especially well, we still, twins. Well, we still do twin stuff. Like, we still do twin studies when we can. When we and can. I say we as in science. Like, I, like, this is Welcome to Night Vale, and I'm Carlos the Scientist. We! I do science. So they would break it down where a lot of times they would want to see if two twins, obviously, ideally identical twins, ideally. Um, would grow up the same 
it mm-hmm. separated into different households. Yes. Um, so this was usually twins who were from lower class families, obviously, because mm-hmm. we wouldn't want to do that with the upper class families. Um, what's interesting, too, Hello. is throughout cultures forever, twins have never been trusted. They used yes. to take one twin and just leave them out in the woods. Like that was, so this this is not something new. Human beings no, have just been basically terrible since the beginning of time. Um, yeah, but it's gotten worse. So for eugenics, it would be, okay, well, let's see, you know, is one twin stronger than the other because they've been raised in a different culture and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's terrifying. So we would call that nature versus nurture. And that's actually something that was coined by Francis Galton, um, who, who was Darwin's cousin. Yeah. Um, who was a, a eugenicist? Um, yeah. Do you want to just talk about eugenics? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. So there was basically this whole movement. And it's funny because Francis Galton, like I said, it's Darwin's cousin. He is the one who coined the phrase um, nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And basically he took his cousin's work and said, okay, this is really interesting. But what we're going to do is we're going to make it like, how do we apply this to society? Mm-hmm. And so he started doing this series of studies for people who um, he wanted to see. It, basically, for lack of a better term, it was, did this person do awesome things and have their generations done awesome things as well? Or mm-hmm. has this been watered down because they married shitty people? Mm-hmm. And um, and which, shitty is usually like a veiled metaphor for less intelligent, poor, <laughs> ethnic yeah, basically, are you white and rich? Oh, look, you've done some great things. Right. Oh, are you anybody else? Mm. Um, what's interesting is this became really, really popular as a form of study. And the United States, even to the point, I think it was 1907, started pass- enacting laws for eugenics, trying to keep people from breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in prisons, they would often force sterilize people. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about Alabama appendectomies on this show mm-hmm. before where women would go in for, or women of color would go in for a routine surgery and then lo and behold, all of their reproductive organs would be removed. Mm-hmm. Um, Margaret Sanger is a very difficult figure because while she did help push the concept of birth control, which mm-hmm. she also did America, it because she hated brown people. She thought that eugenics was going to give legitimacy to her birth control movement so she yeah. latched onto it and it was basically hey white people want to make sure that your neighbors don't breed make sure that they're on birth control <laughs> and it was like no 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 that's not the lesson we want to take away here we want yeah. women to have reproductive freedom but you're gonna like make it not an option right um, so were- and and people will still use that to this day where like people who are anti-reproductive rights like oh and the lady you all look up to she was a eugenicist it's like yeah i mean like so is almost every president so i mean if that's the metric what i think is interesting in in this book is um and this is something that ties into eugenics too is the concept Mm. of the aptitude test yes um intelligence tests and stuff like that are very very skewed Um, They are designed for a certain class, Mm -hmm. a certain race, Mm -hmm. and a certain level of what they deem to be intelligent. Mm -hmm. What is scary is the fact that in the book, the aptitude tests basically, like, that's their study of you, um, Mm -hmm. goes till you're 11, you hit 12, and then all of a sudden you are stuck in a job for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, We do something similar as a culture with SAT tests, ACT, military aptitude tests. We do. Basically, aptitude tests for anything. Like, 
and the really strange and terrifying thing to me is that there are so many people who would fail an aptitude test who have gone on to do incredible things. Um, Einstein is a genius. Obviously, everybody talks about that, but he had a very different way of thinking. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's what's horrifying when it comes to things like college and the barriers that block people from further education is a lot of time is these aptitude tests. That's uh. why you have training classes and it's usually wealthy kids who go to these training classes on like at for zero period at 645 in the morning, not that I'm talking about like real life experience, where you're basically taught not what's on the test, but how to take the test. And not everybody has that option. Parents will spend thousands upon thousands of dollars for their kids to get really good at the SAT. And I know this from experience because I used to work for a company that sold um, packages for education like this. And it's just, it, it is honest to God, not an equal playing field. And it never has been. It's not, but I also think that like to, to give a soft counter, cause I'm not pro eugenics, obviously, <laughs> obviously I'm not pro eugenics, but um, I do think that we also just need to stop making a big deal out of people who don't succeed quote unquote, like, yeah, not everyone has to go to college. That's fine. Like it's not, not everyone has to be like the, the model minority like comes to mind where like you aren't good unless you hit all these milestones. Like it is okay if your life path for you does not include higher education. I don't think less of you. Like I also think that we need to stop kind of valorizing those things because they are sort of inherently unequal. I say that being a black person with a degree. Um, so trust I know how inherently unequal it is. Um, and I also say that being a person who did Kumon, which literally in Japanese means agony. Um, <laughs> I had to do Kumon, which got me very, very good at doing quick math by beating you with rulers. Um, eugenics is scary because it appeals to us in a base way. Um, I did a really, really long blog post about how a lot of like superhero movies and comic books love to use eugenics as a threat. Um, but they make the villains like super, super charming. So it doesn't sound like a bad idea. My favorite example of that is Kingsman with Valentine, where it's like, yeah, we're just going to like eradicate the lesser people. And because it's Samuel L. Jackson, it's like, huh, that doesn't sound bad. Wait, what? Like you're doing a Hitler. Like you're doing... <laughs> You're in the process of doing a Hitler or when Thanos tried to do it or, well, I mean, he succeeded for a little while. Um, in the Avengers movies, it's like, oh, Thanos has a good idea. Resources. Like, that's bad and we need to not think about that. But really, like, that, it triggers something in us that's very, very base that, yeah, we do see issues in the world, but we don't know how to fix them. So it's easier to scapegoat the lesser which realistically changes based on like threats and socioeconomic place and time. Like it, sometimes it's the Polish, sometimes it is the Jews, sometimes it's the blacks or the Hispanics. Like the, the flavor of danger changes based on time period. And for all of you sitting back and going, ha ha ha. Yeah. It was also the Italians and the Irish and the Germans. Yes. It was so, also them. The Irish were never slaves though. If you say no, that to me, no. Like, if you say that to me, I'm punching you in the neck. I'm breaking social distancing. Indentured servitude where you get stuff at the end is different. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just saying that because I know people are like, oh, well, you know, my people were never considered to be. No, yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. it just depends yeah. where you were, 
how many of your people were there and who right. was in charge at the time. Right. Um, but there's something about eugenics that is kind of universally appealing. And it also, like, the roots of it go back further. So when you look at, like, phrenology and stuff like that, um, the roots of trying to figure out and justify basically what is racism go back really, really far. So, like, Django Unchained, which is a movie I'll never stop talking about. <laughs> Mostly you're I not into- now understand all those references. Yeah! Uh, so with Leonardo DiCaprio and his skull, which he actually hurt himself on and everyone freaked out because he was bleeding in real life, um, which is a great scene. Like there was a lot of time, too much time, spent on trying to rationalize why black people were enslaved. And eugenics and phrenology became those reasons like, oh, well, look at the skull of the Negro. They're different. Ergo, we're going to make them not people. So... Eugenics is bad for a myriad of reasons, uh, which is why it's so scary to like see Nazis hanging around still. Um, I saw a post where someone had commented and said that the Nazis have never killed anyone, or uh, the KKK has never killed anyone. It was the KKK has never killed anyone. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? In what universe? In what parallel universe has the KKK ever killed anyone? Do you think that the KKK is just like a nice church group of people who like care about something a lot? Like what? Yeah, like what alternate, what universe KKK are you talking about that are just like hanging out and like making cookies? Because that actually doesn't sound terrible. It's just like a bunch of racists making cookies. Like I can hang with a racist knitting circle. That sounds actually kind of fun. Amanda in the Racist Knitting Circle, a children's book coming to you, all you 11-year-olds in the next few years. Oh, no. They're just, it's like, learn how to, learn how to make a uh, Thor's hammer so you can scare people and you get to play the very, very fun game. Are you pagan or racist? Um. Yeah, and it's funny because all the, the pagans I know are like, um. Yeah, all the pagans I know are like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, But eugenics is bad. Uh, Let's not do eugenics. Um, which means that unfortunately we talk about utilitarianism. Yes, we do. So utilitarianism is a social thought uh, that was proposed to us by a person who is now mummified in a museum. Yes. God. Jeremy Bentham? I was going to say, are we talking about Jeremy Bentham's head? We are. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So Jeremy Bentham was one of the big proponents of utilitarianism. There are other people, but like he's the most famous and he's also mummified. So I'm going to talk about him. I know that there are other utilitarians. I just want to talk about Jeremy. <laughs> I took debate. I've also read a book. <laughs> That's what... I've been on a tear of that because like there's always someone who's like, you didn't mention this. I know Belinda. Belinda, I know. <laughs> but, uh, Utilitarianism is basically, how do we do the most amount of good for the most amount of people? And the problem is, is that that's impossible. (laughs) You see utilitarianism a lot with um, utopian ideals. So like the Oneida community and stuff like that. You get a lot of utilitarianism in places where you can try to make your own social order. Quakers really like utilitarianism, uh, but they don't like dancing. No dancing. We're going to do the greatest good for the greatest amount of people, but don't you fucking dance. Um, 
I mean, it's assemblies of God pastor almost get fired because he had all the couples over 50 dance in the aisles during a church service. So fun, but like, it's a very, very fun thought. And the problem is, and you get to see this a lot with books like this that are horrible dystopias for children. uh, The problem with utilitarianism is that enacting it means a clean slate to the world. Um, There's a lot of talk right now with like uh, abolish the rich and like capitalism needs to die out. The problem with that is um, you would have to blank slate everything. And that's not possible. Um, I was actually having a chat because, fun fact, uh, the the girls of Fangirl Nation, we have our own secret Discord that you're not allowed to be in. (laughs) Unless you're a writer for us. Um, We were talking about, like, not gendering in society, um, especially because I'm gender non-binary. And it's like, you would have to, like, move to Mars and create a genderless society. Like, you couldn't you couldn't mind white people here to just suddenly think in a non-gendered format. Like, it's just not possible. So you can't just, like, abolish capitalism because then what? Like, then what do you do? Like, you go outside and you yell, no more capitalism, and then... Well, and I mean, you see a lot of this, too, um, in after the Bolshevik Revolution and stuff like that, the whole, you know, let's take the uh, means of production to the people. Great, this is awesome. And then what? Except the people that, you know, helped raise the battle cry are now the people who are quote unquote in charge. Yeah. And all of a sudden you have, you know, the Politburo and you have people making rules and regulations that don't benefit all of the people because Mm -hmm. obviously you can't, but it's Mm -hmm. still that very inherent unfairness. Mm -hmm. And then you try to take it back and you get basically the collapse of the Soviet Union in 91 Mm -hmm. and, uh, you have people who take advantage of the system and all of a sudden you have the Russian mafia all over the world. Like my dad used to travel there all the time in like the late nineties and have to have a, basically like a driver who was really an armed escort. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, it's really weird. Basically they take you to your hotel, they take you to get food, they take you to your meetings and then like they take you to the airport and Mm -hmm. you treat them with utmost respect because you don't want to get killed. Mm-hmm. like it, it's it's different today obviously but yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of the things that I get all nervous about is I'm going yeah because I would really really like the mafia not to be in charge of everything thanks though yeah that doesn't sound uh, ideal but utilitarianism it's a fun thought exercise so I used to be in debate which you might be able to tell by my everything um just a little uh and I liked being able to argue utilitarian points just because it is an interesting thought experiment but like yeah you can't make a utilitarian society like unless you're willing to like pull a thanos and just make everyone go away and restart like i guess on jupiter or something <laughs> can i tell you my uh my favorite like planetary fact sure. so on uh uranus their atmosphere is so heavy that their oceans are made of liquid diamond and like it rains liquid diamond there and i just i love that man (laughs) that would be i swear to drunk i'm not god but like (laughs) that sounds just it just a a liquid diamond ocean i mean it's hellish but like god damn 
Uh, Didn't you have to be in, like, a diamond vehicle in order to withstand that? I mean, you'd have to, like, not be there. <laughs> you'd have to, like, not... We, we would... We, there is no fortification that we could do as humans that would rationalize us going there. You'd have to send one of those um, sentient air conditioning units to go check it out. I love those sentient air conditioning units. We actually talked about them a lot on one of the episodes, and we were very, very happy to talk about them. Um, do you want to talk about propaganda for children? Yes. Um, we talked a little bit about this in regards to, you know, giving kids certain books at certain ages. We did. Um, a lot of the concept of propaganda is to narrow your focus onto one thing and remove your sense of guilt mm-hmm. about stuff. Um, it's why things like Make America Great Again become such a big thing. It's mm-hmm. the, this is not my fault that everything's hard. Clearly something else happened, but mm-hmm. this person is going to guide me through. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the fact that when people were starving in the late 40s, due to the fact that like certain cuts of meat had to be sent to the soldiers, understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, But they had propaganda about how organ meat was great for kids, which is why my dad was a big fan of liver and onions and kidney and stuff like that. (laughs) But now we're older and we're like, that sounds disgusting. But at the time it was necessary. It's why Mm -hmm. carrots really don't give you enough beta carotene to help with your eyes. But the propaganda said it did, so you need to do that. So clearly, your eyes are only bad because you have not had enough carrots. Um, part of this is advertising, obviously. The majority of things in life are advertising. But it's that trying to remove the, the it's not your fault. There's no reason that this could be your fault. You mm-hmm. would just need to do this and everything will be better. Um well- and we also see that a lot like happening right now with the level of discomfort that white people have, some white people, hashtag not all white people, have with talking about racism bluntly and matter-of-factly. And like just the pure amount of bristling that happens when people try to talk about race in this country is, I don't get it because it's so obvious to me because I live it. But just to not be able to acknowledge at all just what happened. Like, I will say this. <laughs> Germany sure does know who lost, don't they? <laughs> They've yeah. made a little bit of a resurgence, unfortunately. But we sure do know the losing team, don't we? Yes. We don't know that here in the South. Like, if you listen to Southerners talk about the Confederacy or the War of Northern Aggression... Okay, so that I laugh every time because we were, were like, it's the Civil War growing up in California. Mm-hmm. And then I came out here and it's like, oh, you mean the War of Northern Aggression? And I'm like, I'm sorry, you mean the what now? I just, you lost. I, 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 right. We, does, like the Alamo, has everyone forgotten we lost? And that's it's so funny. It's like, y- you know what? They lost and they burned the bodies publicly. And people, the women and children ran away in what was called the runaway scrape. And it's like, but remember the Alamo, because later at Goliad, we won. And it's like, okay, yeah. San Jacinto. San Jacinto. Oh my gosh. Goliad was the other major battle. Goliad had the bloody arm flag, which is my favorite. Yeah. 
I'm sitting there like making the arm flag with my hand and I'm yeah. going, sorry, I'm like, and, and every Texan right now just like, is like going to come attack me. Well, that's why I swooped in to save you. Yes, thank you. San Jacinto, <laughs> San Jacinto, the angels, you know, we're okay. We're moving away from that. Oh, um, good. One of the things I found really interesting, because you were talking about how uncomfortable it is for people or white people to talk about racism. There is an yes. incredible book called White Fragility written by uh, Robin DiAngelo. I think it's on my list. It's actually a white woman who wrote it. Oh, yeah. um, but there's a whole part in there about her doing racism training classes mm-hmm. and sitting down and being like, hey, white people are racist. Mm-hmm. And everybody going, no white people aren't racist and her being like no let me let me give you all of this information i need you to sit down and understand that this in, is inherently racist this is this is an issue this is a problem mm-hmm. and them going well i'm not racist and her going okay that's not what i'm asking you what i'm asking you is do you see how this could be a problem right and just the fact that like how they many times that she's been asked to like mm-hmm. not come back to do racism training mm-hmm. and it's basic stuff. It's like, Hey, don't call your coworker this. Don't touch your coworker's hair. Like oh you don't have the right to do this. Like it, it's stuff that you would think would be common knowledge. Like don't ask your coworker what part of Africa they're from. Yes. We don't know most of the time. My my big thing is there are three things I wish people would stop doing. Don't touch people's tattoos. Don't touch people's no. hair. And if you're pregnant, don't touch their belly. Like that's, no. you do not have the right to touch another human being without their permission. No. Short and sweet. Like, yep. Like it's, uh, the, the, the current state of the world is exhausting, which I think we cover in every episode. Um, I think we say that in every episode, don't we? Yes, pretty much. Um, that we're tired (laughs) and reading books like this just make me remember how much better i thought things were going to be i'm just saying we can definitely revisit narnia if you want to do that no that's not any better for me because i will 100 percent sell out my family for turkish delights and a hot woman you're saying candy and a hot woman i have to sell out my family yeah let's go well, I mean, if it's Tilda Swinton, I can understand. Right. Like, you're saying I get a gross candy in Tilda Swinton and I get to become a god king? Yeah, sold. Let's go. Fuck the Jesus allegory lion. <laughs> you just reminded me that, um, okay, so I'm doing something on Instagram right now. It's hashtag basic witch fest. Yes. And one of the days is um, the white witch. So now I have to go find my white wig mm-hmm. from when we did um, the Good Omens cosplay. What are we doing this year? I have no idea. Surviving? I mean, accurate. hashtag accurate. Um, but yeah, like the, you, you see this a lot where there's just this propaganda that, you know, it removes the burden of guilt. And um, I mean, go to the South, like just visit literally like, any Southern monument where it's like, and the brave men who fought for their farms and the institution of racism and slavery. Like, <laughs> so not giving names of towns. Um, there is a small town that I visit fairly frequently and. Mm-hmm. On one corner of the square is the World War One monument. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, that's cool. And the other side is the Civil War monument. And you're mm-hmm. like, this is really uncomfortable because I know for a fact that the people of this town fought for the South. Mm-hmm. Like, like obvi- obviously. It's also like they were traitors. But- like, what, what other places? Like, hey, you see this uprising group? 
Yeah, let's build them. Here's not a bunch of statues to Paul Pot. <laughs> Oh, have you seen the the Tour de Union uh, monument? Mm-mm. So the Tour de Union was a group of German descendants who fought for the Union in Texas. And they had a couple little skirmishes throughout, like, the hill country. I mean, they died horribly because it's, like, ten Germans. Like, it's, it's, like, ten random Germans who were, like, Union, like, deep in the hill country. But there's a cool monument to them because they're like, yeah, like racism is bad. We're going to forget this lesson in like a hundred years. But you know, racism is bad. Is this thing in Comfort, Texas of all things? Yeah. I got married in Comfort. It's like so tiny. I've been to the Tour de Union monument. I love it. It's great. Uh, I'll include the picture for people. Yeah. I might even have a picture that I took. Um, but that's propaganda. Uh, do we need to talk about memory and need to forget bad things since we just did? What about what now? About memory and needing to forget the bad things because we just did. Yeah. It's propaganda. I, I, and that's, that's part of th- this book too is that, okay, we'll have one person remember. And I mean, I haven't seen the movie. I just saw like a clip of it and they were talking about, oh, you know, this the whole job is that you're going to remember all of these horrible things that have happened and all of these good things that have happened mm-hmm. but you know should the council ever need to call on you and they usually make their own decisions and don't even bother to look at the past mm-hmm. then they'll come talk to you and it's that like we don't even care that this has happened before as we see with COVID-19 looking mm-hmm. back at the AIDS crisis looking back at the uh, the flu Spanish flu epidemic like this is this is all stuff that has happened before yes we should be really good at preventing this by now, but we're yes. not. We have a racist demagogue in office. We have fascism again, Victoria. Who was president during the Spanish Civil War? Because I know Reagan was obviously... The Google! <laughs> now I'm like, hang on a minute. Um, William McKinley. Who got shot? <laughs> Wasn't he, wasn't he the gay one? I have no idea. We had a gay president. Uh, in 1896, the Republican National Convention nominated him for president. Cool. Interesting. All of these, we've, okay, we weren't going into that, Tori. We're not going into that. We're not going into William McKinley's very exciting life. Um, so, you want to, we talked about clean slates as well with utilitarianism so fun fact that i came across and obviously this is not a fun fact um forced (laughs) sterilization occurred in california prisons until 2014 what yep what there were there were forced sterilizations until 2014 in california prisons Um, (laughs) and i actually learned that from um crash course eugenics crash course so I will go ahead and include that. But I Oh, I an episode on eugenics. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I literally had to like go back and be like, wait, did I hear that right? Um, like, I don't remember that <laughs> So we're going to talk about Lois Lori very, very briefly. She is still very much alive and kicking ass at the time of this recording. Oh, she is? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, she was hey, girl. born <laughs> as the middle child of a family of three. She mm-hmm. wanted to spend most of her time alone. I mean, understood. 
Mm-hmm. Um, her dad was in the military, so they traveled all over the world. She was mm-hmm. born in Hawaii. She lived in New York, Pennsylvania, and Japan, and then attended mm-hmm. Brown University. Um, she carried on that military man thing by marrying a dude in the military when she was 19. Mm-hmm. And then she had four kids under the age of five all at the same time, which, uh. I mean, I would want to write a book about eugenics. Um, <laughs> she got her graduate degree at the University of Southern Maine because she's like, you know what? I'm going to do something for me. And her kids grew up in Maine, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she decided that she wanted to be a professional writer because she'd always written some. Mm-hmm. So she did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1977, she and her first husband broke up. She mm-hmm. would meet and marry another dude named Martin. Mm-hmm. Martin died, but at 77, Lori is again partnered up with a retired doctor named Howard Coven, who she talks about very positively on her biography on her website. Cool. Um, and The Giver, I mean, obviously we talked about how this has been read a lot in schools. Um, it, Too much? In 19, 1994, it won the Newbery Medal. Um, Why? And this is the second Newbery Medal that Lois Lori had won, because she got one in 1990 for Number of the Stars. Mm-hmm. So basically, awards go to books about terrible things. <laughs> not false. And I'm not saying terrible book, because I feel like this book is very well written. It is very concise. It gets to the point, And it's short enough that you can read it in like a day. I think it's, I it's don't think so it's hard. that well written. I don't think it's that well written, but it might just be because I struggle with the subject matter. And it, it is definitely geared more for a YA audience. Um, oh, yeah. So... And that's something I think is really interesting is we tend to, as a culture, discount YA literature and discount things that teenagers read and kids read. But in all honesty, like we talked about, these are the formative years. Mm-hmm. These are the chance that you get in and say, hey, this is bad. Let's pay attention to this. Um, well, like, think about it. Like, we're, what, 20 years removed from this stuff? And we're still talking about it. Like, mm-hmm. how many things that are 20 years on that you think, like, still left that much of an impact on you? Other like, than um, Wannabe by Spice Girls. Well, yeah. And, uh, oh, today is the anniversary of Batman the Animated Series. Oh, yay! First premiered in 1992. Adventures of Superman, eh, Batman, yeah. Yeah. You'd, like, go and turn that on when you got home from school. You'd be like, I get to the math later. And the introduction of Harley Quinn. Yep. Uh, goddamn, we're old. Oh. <laughs> yes. I mean, there are kids in this world who have thought Harley Quinn has existed forever. That's, that's that really blows scary. my mind that there are people who didn't know that, like, Harley Quinn was, like, an insert fan service thing that became a person. Um. And then now her, like, entire own series. I, I love um, Paul Motti and I think it's Conley is the other guy mm-hmm. uh, of all people. <laughs> Yay! Um, I'm not going into more detail on that. But, um, thank you. It's, it's awesome because it's, uh, like, you have this character that they put in for fan service for Joker is like Joker's girlfriend. And now she's got like her own series Mm -hmm. and the series from DC universe is now on HBO max. That is not a child friendly show. I don't like it. I love it. I binge all of it. I I actually hate it. Like (laughs) I hate it so much. I, I love I love so many of the concepts that are in there, but I'm that's not, also, again, because I'm, like, a big fan of the Palmani co- comic version. And that's fine. Like, it, it's not something I'm going to judge anyone over, but, like, I, I, I hate it with a burning passion. Um, so, we do have some listener questions from our patron, Jason. Thank you for uh, keeping the bread and cheese fund going, as well as asking these, these uh, questions of us. Question one, do you consider The Giver to be well-written enough for the intended audience? 
especially now in this day and age. I feel sure. that it is well written <laughs> enough. Um, I think that today's audience reading this book is going to have a lot of different takeaways than we had when we were. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, reading, if I had to read this book, if I was like a modern child, I'd probably have a very different opinion of it. Um, but I also think it's a little bit like anything that you bring your own like trauma and biases into it. So like I know I had an air quotes more favorable reading of some of the parts that are problematic thanks to my trauma. Um, I will yield to Tori's point that I do think it's well written. I just I think at my core like the subject matter just makes you so uncomfortable that like I can't enjoy it too much because it's just like I don't like this. Like I I really bristle with eugenic stuff because I know how appealing it can be to people and I know how scary that is and I don't like there's just something about it that like really makes me uncomfortable like um to bring up something that's very very uh salient and topical right now like uh, with Black Panther um mm-hmm. where you get Killmonger at the end and it's like death over dishonor like that whole shit like that really like did something to me that like almost ruined that movie for me because I know how many black young men still feel that way and how reckless and dangerous that kind of rhetoric can be. Like there's something about it that like, I almost like can't acknowledge it's too good because I don't wanna, because I know how sexy eugenics gets to people. And it's like, we don't need anything else that makes this look attractive. (laughs) Promise of we can make a better human being yeah. But then it's like the danger is who's in charge of choosing the aspects of the better human being. Right. Who gets to pick what is a good person. So like, yeah, it's it's well written. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's not, but like, yeah, there's just something about it that is like, I don't want people to enjoy this too much because we already have a problem with fascism. Now <laughs> So the second question from Jason is, given the fact that there is mass media slash the internet and a culture of sameness, even with emotions, do you think the current generation could resonate with this book? Is there a culture of sameness? Because I I live on the internet and I don't see that shit. I think a lot of it is the, you know, there are certain things that everybody should do. You know, we, we tend to have this culture right now of, if you don't do this, you're a loser. Or if you do do this, like, it's, it's really interesting to me because I have friends on, like, both sides of the spectrum on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so I'll have people on there, like, oh, you know, I love Game of Thrones. Da, da, da. And this is just, like, the blandest, sweetest thing that I can pick. We can go into Pumpkin Spice. We can go into a ton of stuff. But they're like, I love Game of Thrones. I Everybody should see Game of Thrones. If you haven't seen it, you're a loser. And the other half is, I've never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones, and if you watch it, you're a loser. And I'm like, y'all are dumb. I'm sorry. Some people are going to watch a TV show. Some people aren't. Like, Mm -hmm. not everybody has the time to devote to something, let Mm -hmm. alone not everyone's going to have interest in the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think there there are a lot of things in this book that I feel like are, are played down because of you know the the concept that they want everyone to have the same the sameness mm-hmm. um, and we're not just talking colors I think colors was a huge thing that they did um, but it's just that kind of concept of we all have the same activities we all get mm-hmm. the same milestones we all get a bike at the same year mm-hmm. um, I think that when did you get a bike I couldn't ride a bike until I was like 12 
12 or 13. And that was because Same. my, um, my, at the risk of sound, making my mom sound bad, my first stepdad, um, <laughs> basically put me on a bike, took the training wheels off and pushed me down the street. And I oh. hurt myself really badly. He was not a patient human being. And he looks like a wrinkled up testicle. Now I don't care for him. Um, but my second stepdad, who is a saint and uh, has put up with both my sister, myself, and his two kids, like, mm-hmm. the man deserves a break. Mm-hmm. So does my mom, but that's, she's well aware of that. Um, we digress. We digress. Um, he was the one who actually put me on the bike, pushed it slowly, followed alongside, pushed slowly, mm-hmm. followed alongside, until I could get that concept of balance. Mm-hmm. And he stayed outside with me for, like, four hours until I got it. Mm-hmm. And just like, that was a huge, a huge thing for me is just my stepdad being like, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to show you how this works and we're going to get this moving. Um, mm-hmm. That's like a oh, sweet moment. Um, but I think, you know, not everybody has the same things in our society. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody has the same um, the, you're given uh, when you have kids, obviously, like, you know, you're given a concept of these are the milestones that they should be hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, but every kid is different. And the hard thing too, especially for young parents, and, and this is, I, I don't speak from like, personally, I speak from watching my sister go through this, um, where if you have twins, sometimes one of those twins is going to be hitting all those milestones ahead of time. And mm-hmm. the other one is not, they're going to be a little bit farther behind. And trying to like understand that this is not your fault. This is just how human beings are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody goes through certain things, but they go through them at different times. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like we're we're seeing this resurgence of the um, you can do certain things at twenty. You can do certain things that you know you would normally see at twenty, at thirty-five, at forty, like. There's no shame in buying your first house when you're 45. Or never buying a house. Or never being able to buy a house. You know, there's no shame in getting married when you're 50. There's no shame in finishing college when you're 87. Like, it's if you go to college. Like, if you choose to go to college. Like, that's, Mm -hmm. there's certain delays in people's lives that we cannot just make everybody say, okay, you have to do this thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So. No, um, you're right. Um. I mean, I think it would resonate with kids, but I, I think, again, like, they might draw some different conclusions from it. Like, they might be, like, more objectively horrified mm-hmm. by the fascism light than we were. Because, I mean, like, I was reading this. We were probably reading this late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this was, like, Clinton era. The biggest thing that we were worried about was, did he have an affair with that woman? Like, right. did he receive head from that woman or not? <laughs> yeah, like... Uh, so, like, we were horrified by the fascism but like not well also we were dumb kids we didn't really know like we didn't at that point i don't think anyone even talked about world war ii it was just a thing that happened um i think children hmm? i would be really interested to see the people who um left russia like the the jewish immigrants who left russia in the late 80s Mm -hmm. um what their take on this book would be because there's definitely that concept of like we came from this certain area but because Mm -hmm. we were different you know Mm -hmm. we had to get the hell out of there so we didn't get executed in our sleep Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i i I would be curious about this is another one of those books like all books i would love to see like other 
cultures read this like and also i do feel like this reads one very western but also like very particularly american it is very particularly american because again like the fact that we're even having a conversation about this book the fact that like we could even like this might not be objectively bad like i feel like a i feel like reading this in germany is just hey you know this book that's awful (laughs) we're not gonna talk about um so I'd, I'd love if any of our readers overseas if you have any knowledge of this or shit we'll send you a copy like <laughs> you want to read the giver let us know um question three from jason do you think there should be stronger emphasis on the negative qualities of the sameness like a stronger tilt on the eugenics or separation of emotion from a qual? yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yes like they make it sound too okay and we don't get a lot of the bad until later and even some of the bad there are people that are not upset with that. Like, we live in Texas, who, like, proudly executes the most people. We have people here that are like, hmm, I wonder if I could hit them with a brick. Like, oh, no. not a brick. Not a brick. I mean, we, like you were saying, we have freaking birthday parties for old Sparky. Like, we do. <laughs> like, the longest running uh, electric chair. Like, yes. what, what is that? What is right. that? That's like throwing a party for a lethal injection machine. Like a whole what? machine? It's not just a couple of needles. It's a whole machine. I mean, it depends on where they're doing it. I'm sorry. Have you seen? Have you seen the death chair? No. Okay, so it's like this really elaborate like machine. It's like it's like a, okay. This is another like really really dated mall reference. Do you remember the aqua massage tables? Yes. Okay. Aqua massage for those of you who were not at the mall in like 2005. Oh, <laughs> was like a weird tanning bed kind of thing, but with like jet water at you. I loved them next to the oxygen bar, which I also used to love because I was very 2000s. <laughs> oxygen bar. I love bar. that we had a thing where we sold oxygen to people, but it was flavored flavored oxygen we're gonna put this cannula in your nose normally we wouldn't do this unless you were dying and didn't have full lung capacity yes but today it's cherry mine was green apple which was like the literal plot of the movie the lorax is we're gonna sell oxygen we digress um so you get like in this like contraption thing and it like seals you in and it lowers the oxygen level really really fast so you so you fall asleep and then like like a blow darty kind of thing like I'm pretty sure it's ketamine, like, it's some kind of drug and, like, just knocks you out and you're dead. And I think, like, they say the whole process is about, like, five minutes. So they want, people who are very pro, like, end-of-life rights want, like, these everywhere. So you can just be like, bye, and then (laughs) conk out. You can be like Rosemary and be like, I would like to be released today, please. Here, if you can like the needle, I'll do it myself. Right, people want this kind of everywhere. Um... I'm on the fence just because, like, stuff that I'm not going to get into on this podcast. But, um, yeah, I do think that they could have, by they, I mean the author, could have made this stuff less sexy. Because, yeah, like, there's, I, I think especially because you can't know what your reader is doing. It's just, to me, not framed negatively enough. Because, like, I guarantee you when I was reading this as a kid, there were still people who were like, I'm not seeing a problem here. Like, it's a sick baby. What else are you supposed to do with sick babies? And, like, that's not a... I'm not putting any more or less emphasis on that because lest we start a comments flame war. 
Um, I feel like there's just still too much of this book that can be left up for discussion, which really a lot of it's flirting with things that to me shouldn't be. Like some of these things I don't think should be up for discussion, but it's still framed in a way that it's like, I see no problem with this. And because of that framing, you can't like immediately like throw something at the person who says they see no problem with this. Because typically if that happens, like if you're in like a AP classroom and you're talking about World War II and like that one kid who's too into it, you can throw something at that kid because he's a fucking Nazi and that's okay. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that with your history classes where you have like the one kid who's way too into World War II? So ours was weird because we did World War One, and our teacher broke us up into different groups and was like, y'all are Russia, y'all are Germany, you know, you're going to be Austria-Hungary, like different breakdowns. And he was like, okay, mm-hmm. now whose fault was this? And just made us sit there for like an hour and try to- That sounds amazing! It was great. And it was like, our group was like, it's not Russia's fault at all because we didn't do anything. And then now I'm an adult and I'm reading stuff and I'm like, Okay, so maybe Nicholas II sucked, but... Like, maybe it was kind of our fault. But it was really funny because, like, Mr. Cutler made us go through this whole thing. Mr. Cutler was crazy. He was the one who wore, like, fire engine red pants or lime green pants and would always go, I'm the bell, ding-a-ling, and that was when we could leave the classroom. Otherwise, we couldn't leave. Mm -hmm. He made me give Queen Victoria's death date constantly because he was like, Queen Victoria, when did you die? To me all the time i'm like 1901 and i wanted to be like shut the fuck up mr cutler but i will never forget 1901 now thanks a lot but yeah when we got into i like i like mr cutler he sounds great he was on like the u.s rowing team for the olympics at some point in time i like him is he still with us he's not still with us oh i'm sad now but what was interesting is we were so tired by the time we finished world war one and the spanish flu that we were like what the fuck when we got to World War II? So I think we had one kid who was kind of really into it and then they were basically like, shut up, Taylor. And it was like, oh, okay. Like, because we were all tired. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so funny. It's such a brilliant thing of, and it really, it, it, emotionally, that was where we were as a world when we went into World War II. It was, we are so fucking tired. We've already done this once. Why are we doing this again like 10 years later? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, a decade later, before the decade. I, I definitely had that class where you have like the one kid who's like a little bit too into it. In hindsight, now that kid is me. Oh, but but I'm black, so it's okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's my two cents, Tori. Do you agree or disagree with me? Um, I agree for the most part. Um, okay. I think there are a lot of things in here that I, I think Lori intentionally when she wrote this was like, hey, we're going to start this off. So like Jonas not seeing this as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a lot of stuff that, that could have like spiked a little bit more mm-hmm. before we get three quarters of the way in the book. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, this is a bad thing. Like, mm-hmm. Like, I, I love the way that they phrase releasing, like, through the whole, yeah. we're going to release this person. It's a big party. Oh, that child was released. It's like, no, you injected them with a freaking serum and killed them. Like, right. that's very different. Um, I do like this question. I can't answer this one. 
Mm -hmm. uh, was Jeff Bridges a good, bad, or may giver? I didn't I'm gonna say good. Um, I didn't see it because one, it wasn't free on a streaming service, and two, I didn't want to watch a movie of the book because I had just freaking read it. I didn't even know that there was a movie until we started covering this. Evidently, it was like, was it like 2014 or something? Yeah, like they made it very recently. I'm gonna go ahead and say he was good. He was good. The rest of the movie's bad, but I think he did an okay job. The, yeah, it was 2014. I didn't know. See, like, this movie had, like, Meryl Streep and stuff in it, and it's like, oh. I didn't, where was the marketing for this in 2014? Because it was bad. So, I, I think it was kind of like, um, oh my gosh, why can't I think of the name of it? Orson Scott Card, like, his most famous book. Mm. Ender's Game? Ender's Game, thank you. You're where welcome. they started to promote it and then, and then everyone remembered that Orson's cock card is a homophobe and then all of a sudden it was like Mew, and there was no marketing for it like because i remember comic-con was trying to make it a big deal it was like one of the mm. years i went to comic-con and then like afterwards you heard nothing mm -hmm. and it was like oh this movie came out okay yeah like that was really kind of I, I, I want to say funny because that's the only adjective that I have where it's like hey Ender's Game Ender's Game everyone wants to Ender's Game and then it's like oh hey remember this guy's kind of awful it's like never mind that movie doesn't exist oh <laughs> so that was uh so now we get to answer the fun question which we talked about uh for an hour now uh do we have to read this in school uh yeah, yeah. uh fuck you Miss Lawson <laughs> I, I laugh because I go back and I go, holy crap, this is dark. But, like, mm -hmm. remember how surprised we were that The Hunger Games was a series and did so well? And then we had The Maze Runner and Divergent and all that stuff. And we're like, why are we giving kids these dark books? And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. This has been going on longer books. than time. <laughs> like, there was, I do like that uh, Hunger Games did allow for women to do archery. So, thank you, Hunger Games. I had a, a boss who was out doing a, um, I, I won't go too much into detail of what I do in my day-to-day my -day life, but uh, my boss had to go to a thing for a, a pitch meeting for like mm -hmm. three, four, in three, four different organizations were there for it. Mm -hmm. And basically the guy told them, because it was 90 degrees outside mm -hmm. in Texas on a very humid day outside mm -hmm. and said, okay, basically this is like the Hunger Games. You all give me your pitch. and I told her that she should have like shot an arrow at his head, then bent over and said, for your consideration. Um, but evidently, and she understood the reference, but evidently that's not something you say on a mass company call. Apparently not. Thankfully it, it was the, the mass company call that we do. We have like regular check-in calls. Um, but the good news is those are all people who know me really well and know that 90% of the stuff that comes out of my mouth is going to be a movie reference when it comes to work. So Yep, I'm also usually uh, that person. So, do you want to go over our sources? Yes. So, a lot of, obviously, Lois Lowry's biography came from her own website. Mm -hmm. uh, there isn't really a whole lot out there about her, mostly because she's, she's relatively quiet and she's not dead. Um, so, you haven't had, you know, the great academic 400-page book written about her yet. Um, 
yet. I went through Crash Course's eugenics, um, which I will put a link to. It's really interesting, even if you just want to kind of understand the concept. Yeah. I will also include that picture of the monument and comfort because I didn't know about that and some random crap on William McKinley. And then this was when you found it was for your inebriation.com. Yes. Um, where they were making recommendations of different drinks and stuff that you could have yes. while watching the giver or reading the book. Which we did not do because Tori's missing an organ. Sorry. It's a oh no. How my dare liver, you my liver will be fine soon. But how so dare you inconvenience I me? I'm so mad because we have my grandma's gallstones, okay? Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to continue this freaking tradition. And I asked my nurse, I said, can I have my gallstones? And they told me, because of COVID-19, once this stuff goes to the pathology lab, I'm not getting it back. <gasps> so even though normally you can get your you can get your gallbladder back, you can get your stones back, because of COVID-19, my gallbladder went directly into the trash after my Oh, that's So basically, sad. they just looked at it and said, yep, that's an angry gallbladder. <laughs> Yeet. So, <laughs> fuck you, Chad. Um, fuck you, Chad. Which I think is really funny because I, I feel like I have to clarify every time I, I call it Chad that, mm-hmm. oh no, it's, it's just my gallbladder, it's okay. So like, I have a very, very bad habit of naming things. And so far, like all of the things that usually go up into like my e-girl setup all have names. And they all have like anime character names. So they sound like they could be vaguely a person. So I have a humidifier now whose name is Yukito because of course anime. And I said, oh, I have to go get water for me and Yukito. And my friend's like, what the fuck are you? Who who am I? Oh no, it's the humidifier. And I have a little, I have a rose gold humidifier. I feel like I just need to send you a bunch of those like stick on uh, googly eyes. So everything can be like... Because you're going to catch me on, like, the one morning I haven't taken my meds yet, and I'm going to be like, eh! <laughs> you like, everything has a name, so it's like, oh, I have to go, I have to go move uh, this thing, and it's like, what, stop it, Amanda. Um, so, our next book, which we are hashing out some aspects of it, but I do think that, unfortunately, we need to cross this bridge, which means we're reading Flowers for Algernon. Which I feel like I read... When I've I was read. a kid. I've read. But I also feel like I maybe blocked that out. So I feel like most children have blocked it out. I a hundred percent have read Flowers for Algernon. Uh get ready for some high quality feelings. It's funny because I think if we did read this, it was in Mr. Clooster's class. Mr. Clooster was like the coolest dude. Although he did make me read freaking the leather stocking tales. And also um little women which i hate does anyone like little women well it's funny because now i'm like oh okay it's not that bad it was actually a pretty decent book but at the time because i was forced to read it i was like f this i'm done but it was fine we're such angry readers now isn't it great well it's funny because it's like i'm finding all of these really awesome books now but they're all pretty pretty vitrolic if you're Mm -hmm. like my mom and I have this conversation all the time where she's like why can't you just like write a happy book or something like that and I tease her all the time that I'm like don't listen to unfortunately required reading because it'll just make you mad Mm -hmm. but you can listen to Texas Link for crazy and you'll be okay that is a mom approved podcast (laughs) and she's like okay but it comes like I'll be like I'm reading this book and she'll be like why don't you read something happy and I'm like 
We read happy things. I was like, says the woman who's read like everything that's ever been published on Tudor England. Come on. (laughs) Would your mom and I be friends? Um, I think if you guys never discussed politics, you would be friends. Cool. I think if if you showed up for like Easter or something and you brought like rolls or something, you would be well welcome in the family. Okay, I can do that. Don't talk about politics, bring a pie. I can do that. Because my sister's like, I want to meet Amanda. I still haven't met her face to face. And I'm like, I know. I want to meet your sister. Your sister sounds great. She's freaking awesome. I don't know. We're not talking. We're we're talking about your family now. Um, So we're reading flowers for Algernon. Uh, Yeah, get ready for some high quality feelings. you can find us on the internet. <laughs> we are we are all over. Amanda's awesome and runs unfortunately RR on Twitter. Yes. Uh, we also have unfortunately required reading on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately required on Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, where you'll see my apology <laughs> for being out. And unfortunately required reading.com if you're like me and you just want everything in one place so you can just click from there. Yeah. Um, and if you'd like to suggest a book for the podcast and you don't want to do it over social media or you want to send something privately to us. Our email is unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. If you would like to contribute to the Wine and Cheese Fund, you may do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunatelyrequiredreading. Um, Tori, I'm glad to have you back. I missed your face. I missed your face, too. Um, to our listeners um, locally and abroad, go read a book. <laughs>